In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Podcast. I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. And we are currently watching network television because me and Nathan do not watch network television. We are watching the first season of The Blacklist, which first aired in 2013. We are watching season two of The Mentalist, which first aired in 2009. And we're watching season two of Miami Vice, which first aired in 1985. And I know like uh, on our, our intro, it says like we're kind of supposed to be doing comparing these and finding is this artistic value or not really with the with our standard show right now we're kind of just doing these as first watches and our reaction to them so yeah we've we found that's kind of like what we've kind of gone into especially because uh if we do dip deep dive on the episodes we would uh, ruin a lot of things for ourselves so these are more first reactions if you want our deep dives we have our special edition episodes where we cover movies and there we do deep dives and watch tons of youtube videos and read the books they're based on things like that yeah i think with especially on this uh, show with miami vice there's a lot of like cultural anthropology mining going on there because that is almost from a different world at this point like yeah it's uh but as far as like artistic merit it's like well this is michael mann this is why he became michael mann <laughs> the other shows are just like oh what are contemporary shows that people are watching and are they good or not yeah um but yeah as far as like drawing deep meaning i mean our first couple <laughs> episodes i did that it's yeah. like five hours worth of homework for one episode yeah and believe if we had legions of followers then maybe you know but <laughs> as it stands but but you know Verhoeven always it was always like pop culture into art. Yeah, um, yeah. Is so. it pop? Is it is it art or is it just is it intentional art or is it just pure mistakes? Yeah. <laughs> hey, to start with the blacklist, we have season one, episode seventeen, Ivan, number eighty-eight. Another <laughs> title that is purely a misdirect. Yeah, nothing to do with nothing. Oh, there's a guy named uh, went by the hacker name Ivan, but yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if, like, the name of your episode is the guy in the blacklist and why he's bad and why we should catch him, and then, like, the whole episode's not about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. It's a naming convention, whatever. This, this is a cram episode where they have <laughs> yeah. one thing, but really the stuff you're interested in is the Elizabeth and her husband's story yeah. with this peripheral stuff going on. Originally dated March 24th, 2014, NBC Monday. Liz investigates the disappearance of Jolene. The team hunts a young boy posing as Ivan, the infamous hacker. <laughs> Showrunner John, John Bokenham, written by J.R. Ortsy and Amanda Kate Schumann, directed by Randy Zisk. We start, well, I wrote it's a night office, but then he's like immediately outside and it's sun. So I guess maybe it's just a secluded office in the, in the interior of some building to be secret because that's what it's supposed to be. He's being hacked. And so he's like pulling cords and hitting levers and trying to, to separate it from the the uh the internet yeah it's like he's uh, trying he to shut down a nuclear reactor or something <laughs> and then he goes outside and it's daytime he's on a phone he says he needs to go to the backup site and he throws the phone away <laughs> yeah just throws it right in the trash which is like it's like a fun thing. It's like fun. It's a fun, mysterious thing up front. Up front, it's like, ooh, what's this? And then it's like, oh, he's a government employee. Why is he throwing away his phone? <laughs> he's not some secret. Well, he is a secret guy, but he's not really that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, and it's become such a trope in movies, like his even murder movies and stuff. Or, and I mean, now more, it's like take out the SIM card every time you make a phone call and crush it. Like we've seen that a lot too. But it's yeah. been done so much. If you actually saw someone doing that, you would follow them. Like, oh, he threw his phone in the trash. What's going on? We're, we're on the mystery team now. We're going to find out. I, I've, I've, I've actually done that once in my life. <laughs> Throwing a phone away. As far as going to boot camp, 
because i just heard all like a bunch of like scare stories about what they do like depending on like what you have in your pockets when you go in there so i basically went in with just my wallet and id yeah and i i threw I, you know broke and throw the threw the phone away at the, at the hotel before i get sent over to to boot camp uh, and then when i got there and after i got through that i was like Oh, I guess I didn't need to do that. Oh, well, I, I was going to get a better phone anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I literally had like a $20 phone, so it wasn't a problem. So it wasn't even a touch screen. It was like one of the old flip phones. Ah, the old flip phones. Which is why I have a new flip phone. The new kind of flip phone. <laughs> He's being tracked by Ivan because Ivan pops up in, in Russian Cyril or Cyrillic alphabet on the background of the screens. Although, like, even the description says this isn't Ivan. It even gives away, like, when I was looking up the info for uh, an internet movie database, it has a picture of the kid in it. So it's like the whole Ivan misdirect is, like, already ruined <laughs> immediately for me, but that's fine. And then Ivan somehow, or this kid somehow makes an airbag go off in a car, which is impossible unless he literally went in and changed things with the car. I think he, cannot... he did, didn't he? Didn't they find, like, something chip soldered into the car well, control? Well, they said... We, they have a rom like checking the ecu and it's like he did something to it but i don't think they said he changed anything out oh I mean, okay i they, thought they, when he looked they, at it he's like he did something to it. it's like oh yeah he soldered something in it or something because yeah i know you can't do that too especially couldn't yeah. do it back then maybe now but trust me ford tauruses from the late 90s were not like <laughs> wi-fi capable so yeah yeah <laughs> I know that for a fact. <laughs> but yeah, that the airbag goes off and then the guy gets in a car wreck and dies anyway. <laughs> you know, the airbag deployed, so it couldn't deploy again. So obviously. Yeah. He steals the, the laptop from the guy. We come back, we have Red and Dembe meet with Mr. Kaplan in the woods. They find Cowboy and Jolene just buried there. How? I don't know. Yeah, he's just suspicious. So they got him. You know, you know Mr. Kaplan's magic, so. Yeah. <laughs> She can do whatever she wants. Because even Red is like, you're like a bloodhound looking for, you know. It's like, <laughs> how could she possibly have found those bodies? But whatever. I can't remember. Did Red just ask her to just disappear them again? Or are they going to do something with the bodies? I think he said to disappear them. Okay. Tom and Liz, they seem happy for a moment. Then a detective shows up to ask questions about miss the the missing jolene yeah <laughs> i think we're back at the post office and we learned that nathan platt is the now dead it guy and then red speaks of ivan but then but he also he makes a point that ivan usually just harasses russia he doesn't operate in the u.s yeah and so like he must be really desperate if he's here so and then yeah this also when they go to the car and aram's looking up the, the into the car ecu and he finds like an ivan calling card left in the code <laughs> Yeah. You somehow. And then they find an empty RF blocking suitcase. And then the NSA show up. <laughs> Cuts a commercial. And then Cooper shows up to like straighten things up. They're all the NSA is all mad because there's like classified tech in the wind. They call it Project Skeleton Key, and it's basically like a tech bomb. <laughs> it's like a it's like a EMP, but it's just purely code <laughs> that just yeah. shuts down a whole city. It's, it's like oh, somebody watched sneakers before they wrote this. It's the <laughs> it's the C Tech astronomy device from sneakers. It's like oh, yeah, it okay. can break into anything and do anything, and yeah, and it's like oh wow, that's uh, interesting from a movie from the early nineties. It's like yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> talk about that again. They sort of do a similar thing in the. Uh, live free or die hard which that movie was based on a wired article <laughs> okay. as like you know because this is just thing about like the the die hard franchise is almost every one of them except for the last one is based on a previous thing that wasn't meant to be die hard oh okay well i mean the first one's based on it's i mean it's essentially the die hard movie but the book's slightly different or you know mostly different from the movie we got especially with characters and a lot of stuff different second movie it was based on a just a a tense novel about the airport and they converted it into die hard 2 and then the third one was a screenplay called simon says that they converted into die hard with a vengeance so they're at like red's like i don't know like basement or work area and he's like building some contraption yeah and so they go they end up they, so they hop over to to Minsk, Belarus, to go after Ivan. Red talks to Ivan. There's cops show up, and so Red helps him escape and extorts him for like eighty million, eight million dollars. And then shoots uh, Tom in a ruse on the way out the back. 
Yeah, he shoots wrestler. <laughs> wrestler, yeah. Is that his first name? I don't know. For some reason, okay. Tom came to mind. It could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I jump around like yeah with like whose first names. And I usually like end up calling everybody by their last name. But then like when you have with Liz and Tom because they're both their last names both um, Keen. Um, yeah, Keen. Yeah, because I used to call her like Agent Keen the whole time. It's like, oh, now there's two Keens, so we gotta call him by the first name. What is what is Red? Because I mean, it's Reddington, but it's Red is I can't remember his first name. Raymond. Oh, Raymond. Okay. Now, uh, Donald is Kess- wrestler's first name. Oh yeah. Tom yeah. is his wife, or is his her Keen's husband? Yeah. You see, wrestler gets shot. And he's full of blood, and but obviously this is a ruse, and it is. <laughs> and Belarus uh, looks a lot like America too. I found that out. <laughs> Except for one European police car that pulls up out front with the lights on. <laughs> well, I mean, at least they're not doing bad CGI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's like it's not that important. <laughs> Mainly an interior shot at some you know fancy restaurant that makes like really nice Russian food, and that's all yeah. that matters. Uh, and we we come back to where at Tom and Liz's place, and uh, Liz is looking up the Vicap record for the Violent Criminal Apprehension Database or something, and it's uh, the record of Jolene, which is the same one that Red looks at in the General Lud episode. Okay, I thought that looked familiar. Yeah, because I was like, oh, wait, was that her? Because, like, I remember we got that, like, that thing got pulled up, and we, I was speculating that it was, like, his real daughter or something, but not the case. The, because that, the, he got numbers from the Wulan guy, or and that led to that. And so that's Jolene. And now she's dead. So that's all. <laughs> but also, we have the, the, the kind of ironic that Liz feels guilty that Jolene might be her fault somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like she's here because of her, <laughs> not Tom. Red talks to Ivan and he's basically assured that like he's not doing this stuff right now. Um, so he's being framed by someone else. Uh, the hacker got a, like a list of like secret government projects and they even like raise the social security payments for, for a lady, which gives them away because they go. Yeah. It's his grandma. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Duh, okay. Yeah. The hacker is some high school student who is like just some savant or something. I don't know. Or just reckless. <laughs> well, he's a weirdo. He has a weird obsession with this girl. Yeah, yeah. Which that plays out in the, one of the creepiest like stalker scenes in the school lunchroom I've seen in a while. Yeah, because he's eating the same food as her at the same yeah, time. Yeah, he, he just he just mirrors her, and it's like, oh, that's creepy. Yeah, that's like next level nuts. And then you find out he's using like the secret tech to basically spy on her, her extra hard. Yeah, <laughs> gets her emails, her texts, <laughs> gets video somehow, you know, in the house and all that stuff. It's like crazy. Yeah, because you you think for a moment it's like, oh, he gave his grandma more money. That's kind of fun, and he just turns up to be a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, he's just the worst combination of weird tech genius slash stalker nutcase. Who it's like, you know, if you have the intelligence to do all that, you you can find someone to date. Like I, <laughs> Liz checks out the address of Tom's tactical garage. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know that's she doesn't know that's what it is, and. Tom's on the phone in the tactical garage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? What, what, what did you find? And she gives the address, and he's like, oh, that sounds interesting. And he's like taking all this sh- those string diagrams with her pictures yeah. all over it off the wall quickly. And it's a tense scene. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, even though like very little is done, but like how they, it's very effective. Like that was like this tense like where she's like chasing them around. They just have like like tarps just hanging. And they have this moment where, like, Tom is, like, just trying to guess when she's going to move. And he basically like, moves at the exact moment she does. So he, like, isn't seen. And it's very simple, but it's very effective. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool. It's... <laughs> and then she, like, goes back into the warehouse. He's, like, hiding behind a door. And then he kind of, like, hits her with the door without her seeing him. Like, sucker punches her in the face and runs away. <laughs> yeah, because it was a question in my mind. Like, did he see her? And what's their next encounter going to be like? But yeah. apparently she did not. And then we see like Tom get on the uh, payphone. He's like checking in with his handler, but like in a weird way. It's like it's like, it's acting like he's like check. He's like checking his bank account balance or whatever. But it, he's checking in with Berlin, which like you said, like Berlin might just be a phrase, not actually in Berlin. Yeah, but that's also like because in the other previous couple episodes, like a, a point of contention is that like he hasn't checked in in a while. So this is his first check-in and for like however long or whatever hacker guys harrison lee he's yeah he's, he's just some creepy <laughs> creepy tech guy he grabs a skeleton key as like the as the fbi is like 
coming into the school to get him and he creates a bunch of disturbances yeah like a lot of the alarm goes off to evacuate and so that masks his escape and then we have a scene where liz is asking red about jolene he like he, he's being he's being evasive and like he makes the point like it's like i've never lied to you and I'm, I'm like that has to be not true <laughs> I mean, maybe he's never, like, told a bold-faced lie to her. But... Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing I'm thinking. It's like, I haven't directly told you a falsehood that wasn't that didn't have some intent behind her or whatever, but I'm like, so I'm not going to go back and review everything he said to Liz. Like, see, he never lied. <laughs> now it's, like, a thing I'm, like, looking for in every red scene. It's like, what are the things he's not saying? Yeah. <laughs> How is he being deceptive in an intellectual way? Yeah, Harrison's using the NSA tech to stalk a girl whose dad runs the skeleton key program. He fakes texts from her friend, <laughs> makes like the city. It's like he he, he created a blackout, but it was making like the city light up to, as like a pathway to lead her to him. Yeah, and this um, is Washington D.C. We're talking about here. <laughs> it's like can't believe like this kid is that deranged where he thinks, yeah, this is gonna pass muster. Yeah, she's gonna be so impressed. <laughs> Yeah, he like leads her down to a subway, and then she's just immediately worried. Um, it's rightfully so. <laughs> then he introduces himself, and he's thinking she's gonna fall in love, and she's like, "What's wrong with you?" You know, it's like, <laughs> "Are you crazy?" <laughs> and then Abby runs and just kind of he tries to like grab her arm, and she awkwardly falls and hits her head. So he runs, thinking he like killed her or something. And then like <laughs> he's like getting away in a train, and Liz like I guess this is like kind of a it's an okay special effect but it kind of looked like the glass looked like liquid yeah (laughs) but it's fine whatever (laughs) uh she like shoots a window up and jumps through it Um, Uh, on a moving subway car yeah hey yeah they put they put some blood on her it's like yeah (laughs) that wasn't without struggle yeah and then she's talking down harrison and tries to get him to stop the train before it crashes although like we have like several different points of views of them like tracking the train and like all this other stuff and it's like it's gonna crash there's no way and then it just stops it's like oh okay yeah because they're all yeah because he just wants to run to the end of the line at full blast yeah it's like it's it's suicide suicide. yeah yeah Uh, and then we have like kind of like the you know that's just kind of it for the episode so we have the now we have the wrap up and so we have Liz tries to invite wrestler to dinner and he tells her she doesn't need to like feel guilty that she has someone to go home to. Yeah. Yeah. This is more along the line of, of them getting closer together. I don't know if that they're going to do anything with that, but you know, we got, we're going to get her apart from Tom. So yeah, we know that Tom's to actually evil now. It's not like <laughs> speculation. And then Liz gets some evidence photos at home where she's like, Tom's making dinner. And, oh yeah. We've got, she gives him some weird hippo to take to class. And then she's when they see there's, evidence photo at tom's tactical warehouse the hippos in the trash and sees she's it and then she immediately puts everything together (laughs) and then tom's asking like weirdly like did you see him and she's like no (laughs) so so now everybody's weird in the scene (laughs) yeah everyone's like awkward and strange can't tell the truth now <laughs> oh no i don't know what my lying face looks like so i'm just gonna go with my emotionless <laughs> i'm just gonna look reciting words face yeah when in doubt look confused which actually does work then liz goes and meets with red about tom uh red's contraption he was building is a music box that gives liz memories of the fire she was when she was a kid but it was also like some like something her father played for her when he told her everything was gonna be okay and so basically it's not a direct confirmation that red is her father but it's heavily implied yeah it's like he knows things and and of course she just like lays in his arms and kind of closes her eyes too while they're listening to this music box yeah she, she the thing she said that her father used to do is exactly what red does here yeah kiss the back of red said everything's gonna be okay and it's not that's <laughs> yeah, far from okay <laughs> but yeah, now, now now everybody knows that tom's a bad guy they just don't know the specifics of, of his bad yeah why he's a bad guy and why he's after her and yeah um i assume it has something to do with reddington so i assume he's her father and these are the russians or some other group trying to get back at him through uh through, through tom and his daughter but i'm just i mean yeah. you never know on this show it's always be yeah. something weird because, like, my assumption is that the Alan Alda group isn't associated with Tom. No, no, I never thought that. 
I mean, that that would be convenient, but I don't. So I think there's, yeah, I think this is a separate group that's also after Red somehow. Yeah. The Alnalda group is more interested in like direct power and stuff. They're interested in playing psychological games with people. <laughs> um, they seem more like, yeah, we just want power and we don't care how we get it and who has to die. Yeah. So, yeah, this is an yeah. okay episode. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, it was, it was development of the story that actually interests us with a side story going on. With a main that, that was easily disposable. <laughs> yeah, with a main character that is a genius and also an idiot at the same time. <laughs> it's like I did this because I love this girl. It's like you're going to die. You know, now that the, you know that the government has this thing and you've used it, like they're just going to kill you. I mean, they didn't say that, but you're going to go under some kind of rendition to a black site uh, because this isn't something where you're doing like a couple years in juvie. It's like you're a genius hacker with serial killer motivations romantically. It's like they're not just going to let you go with some pr probation. We can't try him as a minor, so we need to get Red and just put a bullet in the back of his head. Yeah. We can't try him as a minor, but we can take him to a black site and torture him to death. Because there's no like legal stuff around that. I mean, there is, but nobody pays attention. Because this is a very, remember, this is the darkest universe of like spies and intrigue. And it's like the most yeah. extreme interpretation of, because what really goes on in the real world, while sometimes being dangerous and weird, is also very boring. Usually it involves money. <laughs> Almost nobody betrays anyone for principles or beliefs. It's just like, <laughs> how much money can you give me? And sometimes it's even not large sums of money. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, I can have a beach house it's like oh you're gonna betray your country so you can have you know a, 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 a hunting lodge somewhere and not even <laughs> a good one just a little one but yeah but it also, makes this it universe, it's basically built up that like all our bureaucracies like why they're slow moving and like seem to be ineffectual at affecting change is because that's all facade for the secret dark stuff in the background yeah. that they have to keep secret it's all because the star chamber is running everything or whatever so <laughs> some nexus of power that has incomprehensible and almost suicidal motives. <laughs> um, but it's exciting, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's more exciting than just like, Oh, it's just greed and, or sex or both. You know, <laughs> for our second show, we have the mentalist season two, episode 17, the red box, original air date, April 1st, 2010. Have no idea if that's, <laughs> if that's any special thing. Like this is our April fool's episode. Yeah. I doubt it. I don't remember anything being like that. While the team investigate the murder of an English tutor who stole a valuable artifact from a British museum, the new boss comes in and lays down the law. Shorn or Bruno Heller, written by John Mankiewicz and directed by Chris Long. We start out with, well, I should specifically, Lisbon is worried about the new boss coming in. Her name's Madeline Hightower. I find like anytime you use Hightower for like law enforcement, like it's like, are you gonna have to? Are we gonna compare this to Police Academy? Yeah, she's just gonna be into really big guns. <laughs> there we go. We go to the uh, crime scene. Rigsby's greeted by Vic Bandino, who's like the he's like a former cop that worked with Rigsby in San Diego, but now he's like a private consultant, security guy for just a rich. I'm not sure if it's like a homeowners association or if he just works for this one rich guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. It seems like if they, it seems like it's probably just this one guy because of the kind of house they had. Yeah, well, yeah, they seem to have like more of a compound than just one house. Yeah, that's also a whole thing I don't understand. Like a pool house, like what the hell is that? It's like, well, <laughs> like what is like is, a, is it just like a house next to a pool? Is the pool inside the house and they just have all this stuff around it? Like I don't know. That's just a big rich person thing. But that's also. Now, the last like pool that I had at my house, I had to put up with stilts. So, <laughs> and the uh, pool house was okay. my house. So, yeah. <laughs> you ever see those like people that are like so rich that like when their kids like feel like you know like I need a bit more freedom, they'll just build a second house oh, on the property. Yeah, the kids' house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always knew someone was rich when you like. Oh, here's my number. Uh, yeah, that's that's like it's listed in the phone book as the kids line. Remember, I mean, that's not a thing anymore. But yeah. back then you looked up somebody's name and it says, yeah, this is so and so. This is the house number. But this is the kids number. It's like I knew two people like that. And it's because, yeah, they had their own phone in their own part of the house. And of course, it was a house where nothing but went on. But like 
debauched sex and drug use where the kids <laughs> lived and i witnessed it and it's like yeah okay this is i guess this is what rich people do it's like i'd just be happy like look at this kitchen holy crap is that a wolf stove yeah mom never cooks it's like that's a ten thousand dollar stove and this was a 90s money it's like jesus yeah i'm just gonna You're go good. use drugs and hunt my girlfriend it's like i'm gonna <laughs> hang out in this house Jeez, wow is that a hot tub in a bedroom who does that? Yeah, we, we're like, uh, I don't know, like at the time, middle class, but like, you know, we had some poor single parent friends who like, they come over to my house and they're amazed by everything. It's like, oh, wow, you got a Sega Genesis and there's like a black and white TV in your room. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And one of the controllers are broken. It's like, yeah, it's what we got. It's like, no, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I had a friend who his dad was a dot his dad was a surgeon and his mom was an orthodontist so they were loaded yeah <laughs> i remember going to their house and that was like mid 90s or early 90s and you know they had one of those freezers with the you could dispense the ice cubes like into the cup yeah and like now like pretty much every new refrigerator has that but back then it's like oh my god <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> yep i knew i knew people like that um i, I mean people that had like ferraris in a garage like <laughs> not new ones but you know just a like, yellow ferrari it's like oh that's awesome it's like yeah i know where the keys are it's like no 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 <laughs> i just want to look at it oh don't be a pussy it's like no this thing caught this is like a hundred thousand dollar car then do like, you want to sit in it no i just i just think it looks cool dad hates no. it it's like what okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so anyways yeah so there's a dead body in this rich guy's house named mr banks i think it's hudson banks i'm just gonna call him banks for the rest of it yeah i'm gonna uh, call him man cow because that's who i thought it was at first it's uh, like is that <laughs> man cow <laughs> he's just some rich asshole that's like i don't know like is involved in like photography or something yeah he takes pictures of people but it's always his wife yeah who's like ugly beautiful like she's got one of those <laughs> women with those faces where it's like it's very distinct looking but it's really not that she's ugly at all but when she opens her mouth and talks you're like oh yeah okay this is <laughs> obviously you're not using god's gifts very well because when you open your mouth it's like oh you're just a horrible human being <laughs> very entitled and probably at the uh the tail end of her entitlement period where yeah. people give, give her things for being entitled yeah james smithson smithson is the body he's a tutor there's a gunshot wound jane immediately thinks the tutor's some sort of fraud and then he finds like a red box under the bed and then the body just comes to for a moment like he, <gasps> yeah that was kind of weird it's like what yeah like oh it's not a murder investigation jane thinks something valuable was in the red box oh yeah yeah we, we cut to commercial when he wakes up and then we come back and he's being taken away and i forget who he's talking to but they're just like yeah he's brain dead so yeah this is a murder investigation because he's not coming back to life because he was his brain was out of oxygen for like hours yeah yeah <laughs> I was wondering that myself. It's like, wait a minute. There's been people like, oh, he's dead. And people have shown up as like, this guy's brain is just cooked. And it's like, oh, yeah, it was. Okay. They said something like, you know, about the body getting like a, a last minute electrical shock that restarted his heart. But like, yeah, it's called Lazarus syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they said. So I didn't even look it up. It's like, ah, my. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes for the show, like, instead of like doing like, it's hard to go like deep analysis without getting ruined about stuff. Like sometimes like just going on, we'll look out for the stuff is like, is that true or not? And that will be the like, you know, bit of trivia for the episode. Yeah. Lisbon interviews the kid. Cause the kid found the body. The mom's not so forthcoming, but she's not actually her mom or she's a stepmom or she says she's not her mom. We never get the full thing of that. But yeah, Van Pelt finds out that James is a fraud. And so now Bandino is looking suspicious because like he's supposed to be, a former like competent cop so he's like he's like how how can he be so bad on his background check but that's a plot point for later on yeah that actually did pay off and i'm glad because i was like <laughs> i just can't leave that hanging <laughs> cho and jane interview like another parent that this guy's tutored for and jane makes her tea in her kitchen and they're just like sprays air freshener into the tea <laughs> yeah i was wondering like where's this going because it was lemon pledge yeah. Well, it didn't say that. It said lemon cleaner because they probably didn't want to yeah. pay for the rights. But yeah, you knew what it was. 
uh this is because jane spotted that james is living in a pool house and he had like all this lemon tea like all over the place yeah so he's like he picks up on something like oh this this lady was having an affair with him he made tea for her so she's gonna emotionally react to this tea so he made sure that the smell was so powerful that she would emotionally react and betray herself <laughs> and then she goes to like drink the tea and he's like no you don't want to do that <laughs> yeah don't do that which out of this point doesn't really go anywhere it's just kind of a fun scene yeah it's just a fun scene it's like yeah i was sleeping with him it's like okay and then she's like the murderer it's like, no <laughs> she just made this woman uncomfortable in her living room in, in front of cho who's of course just yeah. you know deadpan the whole time van pelt's kind of playing heads game head games with rigsby over a stripper story that the bandino tells banks some art guy or takes pictures and somehow mil- millions of dollars no idea um unless he's just old money because that's kind of a no they said he was it's like because he's remember this guy the reason the cbi was there was because he called his friends in the state and said i want the best people Oh, and then Jane was immediately like hates this guy. She <laughs> thinks he's some kind of poser asshole, which he is, and yeah. starts antagonizing him immediately. And uh, you know, Lisbon gets calls and stuff. And plus, she's got a new <laughs> boss she's worried about too. Yeah, he insult. Yeah, he insults him and in all his relationships. It's like, what are you actually? What's all this actually really about? <laughs> oh, he was saying really bad stuff. It's like, so do you just watch while other men have sex with? Like he was really saying terrible stuff to this guy yeah, yeah trying to get a reaction out of him yeah i mean yeah this is standard jane stuff insult the 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 person who might be a killer or is grieving you just insult them to see what like really comes out yeah yeah because jane's just a psychopath of you know just an emotional <laughs> vampire not really he doesn't feed off of it he's just like oh that that piqued my curiosity yeah yeah then they leave and the guy's mad and lisbon's trying to say like hey be easy about this guy has connections and then as they're leaving they they uh, jane picks up they have like a tail following them it's some british guy francis slocum who says he's from scotland yard <laughs> well first he's he it was funny because you know jane figures out they're being followed and so as they lisbon drives into a cul-de-sac at like 90 miles an hour in a in a van for some reason or are they driving an suv then i don't know there was a van used a lot in this episode but yeah, uh, yeah they do have a van but this one i'm pretty sure it was a suburban and then they pull it over and this guy's doing like a uh oh, what would you say like a woody guthrie impression or is it some kind of weird <laughs> like western accent yeah, and jane yeah. immediately is like that's a bad accent you know you're doing that wrong you've got it you can't i don't know what he said he got it's like you got to watch your glottal stops or whatever yeah yeah and which still, I was, which, which I was thinking is like, yeah, you and half the cast of this show actually had to do that because you're Australian, and Rigsby or uh, yeah, Rigsby's yeah, from Rigsby's like Scottish or something. He's got because his real name's weird. It's like Owain something or yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, half the cast of this show is actually has to fake their accent the whole time. Yeah, I thought that was funny because like I imagine like the line he gives there about why why his American accent is bad is what like. The people that are training them to do an American accent is tell it told him what, during like production. Yeah, it's like oh, it's, this is actual real life Simon Baker. Like I had to learn that too because um, it's very weird when you see him interviewed for any of the YouTube research I do, and it's like oh yeah, he totally has an Australian like a really thick Australian accent too, and it's like that's weird that he can just switch back and forth like that. Because it's strange when you see a guy who you associate with one thing who looks exactly like that guy, and he's talking. It was just like uh, what was it, The Walking Dead, the guy who played the yeah. sheriff. Remember they did the first press with that, yeah. And it's like, oh, this guy's. Oh, we didn't know he was British. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of fun to see that. It's like, yeah, it's, you're speaking from experience there. Which Christian Bale does the other thing that's like kind of fun, where he interviews and the accent of his character. <laughs> Yeah, I always think of Christian Bale as an American for some reason. Actually, I'm not wrong to think that because he technically was raised in both countries. But yeah, I, I was like, oh, yeah, he guess he is a British actor. Right? Get back to CBI headquarters. This is where we meet Hightower. Um, and she interviews, she's having a talk with, with Lisbon and she wants to keep she wants her to keep Jane in line. But like Hightower sees Jane as like the most valuable person there. And she's and he's like. Yeah, you're replaceable, Lisbon. We need Jane, and we need him to be in line too. So, so if he gets out of line, we're not getting rid of him. We're getting rid of you. 
Yeah, so basically her new boss sucks, and she's some yeah. <laughs> kind of evil, manipulative person. I'm guessing she's probably connected to Red John in some way. I don't know. Because uh, hmm. she seems like, oh, all she's there to do is psychologically break the bond that Lisbon and well, she's breaking up. Well, by the end of it, she's breaking up the whole team. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is like this is not how you lead, unless yeah. you have some ulterior motive. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, they say she has like connections high up in like politically too. So I don't know where she came from before. Yeah, you know, she's a cop, has high political connections, but <laughs> yeah. She's getting in there and insert, asserting her dominance. So. Yeah, in the worst um, way possible, by the way. So <laughs> it's like, hmm, okay. But you know, she shows off her value, but she get by because apparently there was a problem because the the banks guy has like political connections. He was the the judge that's supposed to sign off on the search warrant for his house wasn't getting signed off on, and so Hightower just puts that through. So that shows like you know, okay, she she can, she, she can help the team. Yeah. <laughs> What's um, her real reasons for helping the team? <laughs> Slocum shows up at James's hospital room. Of course, we find out his real name is Oliver, but I'll just keep calling him James. Yeah. Uh, Jane Jane anticipated because everybody else is going to search the bank's house, but Jane is over at the hospital anticipating a Slocum to show up, and and uh, so he talks with him, and Slocum says that James's father, and I think I think he's a thief. I don't know. <laughs> no, he's a Scotland Yard detective. Oh, is that true? Okay. Yeah, he works in special branch. Oh, okay. I thought that was all. Just and so also, I remember how he got free was oh, yeah, he we've... knocked a cop out at the. St- took his gun. <laughs> took his gun and left. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Okay, I thought. Okay, I thought that was all just a facade. I thought he was actually just some thief. Uh, no, he was. He's he's a, he's a basically a Ronan, uh, Scotland Yard because he's not there on behalf of Scotland Yard. He's yeah. there on behalf of his son, but he can say he is technically part of Scotland Yard. But yeah, he's running around America, knocking out cops and stealing their guns, and which is kind of interesting how it all wraps up for him. It's like, well, no, just leave the country and it's all good. Yeah, I was thought like I was thinking because in you know blacklist isn't a reality, but they have the FBI going all over the world. Yeah, um, which is true. They do have that. Um, yeah. In so much there, there's multiple FBI shows, I believe on CBS, maybe, or maybe they're ABC. They have an FBI international. <laughs> that is yeah. FBI work in it. Uh, and, and the biggest movie I know about that is The Kingdom, because that's like a, a bomb threat that's being investigated by the FBI. Yeah, um, I mean, the FBI works in Europe through Interpol. And then, like, they work in other countries, like the Kingdom. They investigate when, like, embassies or people are attacked. Like yeah. a, a U.S. citizens are attacked. That's that's how they work through that. I don't think they just show up and just start shooting people, but it'd be <laughs> exciting if the, you know it's like wow. That, that's the CIA does that. I mean that does happen, but it's not usually the FBI. But I mean, I think it's like they should just get a BBC run series about like Scotland Yard, but they have something very specific and they have to do investigations in America. Special, special branch. <laughs> Super secret branch. Like, there's something that only they can do, and they go all over the world to do it. <laughs> well, see, I, like, because we like divide it up, because I don't know which is which, because they always they seem interchangeable, and I hear it, and I never follow up on what it is. Like, because we have the CIA, that's international intelligence gathering. The CIA, technically, by law, cannot operate within the borders of America. If they do, they have to follow the laws. But the, you know that's what the FBI does domestically. That's like yeah. the Americans, like those guys were FBI, U.S.-based counterintelligence. Like that's who they worked with. Now in England or UK, they have MI5 and MI6. One is external and one is internal. Okay. And but I don't know which is which and how it works, and I can't put it all together. Because then you also special branch in in. And Scotland Yard is a real thing. And that always, like, those guys are always in when, like, foreigners get murdered and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's a weird combination of, I think Special Branch is actually law enforcement for people that commit crimes in the UK. And then MI5 or MI6 helps with, like, support information to them about, because it's always involves terrorists and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, like, everyone kind of divides it up in its own way. And the UK probably needs that because that's much more an international country than we are, so... Because you think of all the people that are passed yeah. through that country, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, all yeah. the time. 
So yeah, it sort of makes sense, but I don't, I don't really like investigate it too closely. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This works for the story, whatever. MI five, MI six. I don't know the difference. <laughs> Slocum says that James didn't steal the ring or at least he didn't steal it as like an intentional act. Um, yeah, it was all a ruse or something. <laughs> I mean, he did steal a ring, but I don't know. Here he's trying to say like he was being that he was being like um, cheeky, rebellious. Yeah, and and this guy is his real dad, but he said he was never there for him. Yeah. So that's the other thing. It's like, why is this guy doing this? It's like, oh yeah, because that's really his son, but he was an absent father for it's <laughs> never really explained why. But well, basically, actually, that because there's a moment where like chose like. Does he have any living relatives? And they're like, we don't think so. It's like, all right, because we need to sign off in the bayou and get his organs sent out. Yep. <laughs> uh, Hightower talks with Jane and lets him know that, like, Lisbon is expendable, which um, I don't know if this is, like, Jane's building up a ruse in the background to get back at her for that. Because, <laughs> you know, like, if he fires Lisbon, Jane's not going to do this. Yeah. Like, he'll, he'll just go off on his own. <laughs> Yeah, because that's like his his center at, at CBI. He's not going to work under people that are like that guy that just cut him off all the time. Yeah. And then tried to get him like put in prison for planting a bug in his office. Like that's who's going to replace Lisbon, someone <laughs> like that, and he's not going to stick her. So I, it seems like an empty threat. Like, oh, okay, yeah. she's just messing with us to mess with us. And then Mr. Banks admits to like buying a gun illegally, which is like they're looking for a thirty eight revolver. Uh, yeah. And there's a revolver in one of his pictures and – Apparently he couldn't get it legally somehow. Which I, I don't well, know, he, first he tried to claim it was a prop. Yeah, and then it was like, oh no, wait a minute, I because then it turns out that the guy Bandino, like Bandino, yeah, was acquired it. Yeah, and then Lisbon like presents like Mr. Banks with like all his search histories with like linking him to like this British museum theft that they're looking for this ring that was like apparently it was like a what do you call that <laughs> proposal Egyptian, ring? What's that called? Egyptian something ring. I forget what it was. Between it was a Mark Antony and um, Cleopatra. Yeah. And then there's like this, and in, in the background, there's a guy mentions named Ang- Anglet, who's like the guy who's the fence essentially for all this stuff. And Slocum attacks Anglet, and then the CBI moves in and arrests uh, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hightower gives Slocum a ticket back home and says she doesn't want to see him again. Yeah. Anglet's being questioned, but he's not, he's, he's he's evasive he's just waiting for his lawyer here we kind of see like hightower he's having some fun it's like yeah let's run up his his let's run up his bill his lawyer bill so we'll just distract his lawyer before he actually gets in there so yeah that's how we'll get back in and then jane sneaks in to talk to anglet jane reveals the whole james like theft ring is like he steals the real ring but he but he sells fakes to everybody even though he has the real ring. Yeah. Yeah, it gets Jane kind of in danger because now he's putting Mr. Banks into danger because Anglet's apparently dangerous, so he's going to go kill Banks because it's he got ripped off or something. Um, well, whoever he sold that ring to is going to like kill him because apparently it's yeah. like bad people with lots yeah. of money that want, you know, antiquities. Uh, and they didn't really figure this out because then they just kind of cut to the end of it where <clears throat> bandino runs out with a bag of money so it's like okay this is all about him he did it yeah uh then anglet like hits him and then cbi arrests them both <laughs> and then we find out that yeah, bandino actually did do a background check on james and he knew like he stole this ring and so that's why he let him through because he wants in on this whole yeah well he create well i think he knows he has a ring and then he creates this whole thing to make money by selling fake rings and so it's really all about him and then he killed him because he he was gonna because James was gonna back out on it and say so yeah, ultimately it's it's Bandino did the cop the former cop did it yeah okay why did he do a bad background track and it's like okay now that makes sense he did that intentionally so yeah but yeah they just kind of wrap it up and it's like oh okay um, and then Hightower leaves the night saying that she's gonna do something about Van Pelt and Rigsby and then it's like so now she's just fully dismantling this team that has their highest prosecution rate yeah. of anybody else in the CBI. Yeah, like they're famous, like they're known throughout the state. Although, you know, though Hightower says she's going to make like CBI the like the premier law enforcement in California. It's like, oh, finally, they're not going to be bankrupt like every other law enforcement agency in here. Yeah. <laughs> they're just going to throw money at this now. It's something somebody evil would say, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always like some what... some, some evil boss that wants that wants results and doesn't want to know how it's actually done as long as they don't get complaints. Yeah. Let the sausage factory run. Just don't show me how it's made. 
Yeah, there's more to her though than she's she's oper- I mean, I could be wrong, but I think she's operating on a different level. There's there's yeah, a suspicion I, about yeah, her. I, I didn't I didn't see her like episode like number, so I I don't actually know, but I would I would guess she's not here the rest of the series. Yeah. So. Because we only got like six or seven episodes left, so it's not a whole lot for so she'll have to something another bad thing will happen inside CBI and she'll be because of her. Yeah, they'll get like three more guys killed or something. <laughs> it's like we're still the best, but you know, we're dealing with super Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so yeah, the episode it was alright, it was fine. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Didn't carry me away. Well yeah, yeah, you said we had a lot of good episodes last week, so you know, every every follow up show this week kinda had a little more to live up to. So and so for our third show we have Miami Vice, season two, episode seventeen, Florence, Italy. Original air date, February fourteenth, nineteen eighty six, NBC Friday. Crockett and Tubbs take a Grand Prix race car driver track, sorry, a Grand Prix race car driver after the body of a slain prostitute is thrown from a speeding car. Toronto Michael Mann, written by Wilton Crawley and directed by John Nicolella. Yeah. So yeah, at the time of the recording, in the show, there is a Miami GP. And at the time of this recording, there is a Formula One Miami GP going on. So that's what I was talking to Nathan off podcast last week about the, the weird occurrence that's happening between a, a, a almost 40-year-old show and current events. So, yeah. Although the Miami GP in this episode is an IMSA race, so it's not Formula One, but yeah, you know, it's not nothing. It's a popular race car series in America. Oh yeah, and those are the like actually they look more they remind me of like Le Mans cars or something. Yeah, they're that like kind of cars. They they vaguely look like production cars, but they are prototype cars that have a lot of they're built race cars. They're not street legal. Although the car in this episode that gets used in the first couple of scenes is like a is essentially a street legal version of a race car that they make in it's called a porsche 906 yep and it is a very rare and very expensive car (laughs) i looked it up just out of curiosity one sold last month for two million (laughs) dollars so yeah it was it was a real car like and and it was actually used in like real scenes i was like oh that's crazy so we start out, there's a street full of call, call girls. Uh, they focus on Florence, who's dressed up as a schoolgirl. Uh, there's a lady mad that they're up, they're working out in front of her deli. I mean, I, I assume it's a deli, but all it says is croissants, and all she talks about is croissants. But and I don't coffee. think it's a croissant shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of, it's like in the Miami Vice bright neon color theme. Yeah. And it's like, this is the nicest place prostitutes have ever worked anywhere, because... <laughs> It looked like it looked like high end shopping, uh, you know. Yeah. So it was one of those cool like Miami Vice street scenes, uh, where it's um, not dark and gritty, but yeah. Yeah, Florence gets into some Porsche. It's like the, the Porsche we're talking about, the Porsche 906 Carrera. Yeah, hits her head getting in, doesn't close the door right. Just watch, uh, just watch <laughs> the episode again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell <laughs> they probably had one night with this car, and it's yeah. like yeah. Tubbs and Crockett are like cruising around the strip. We have the fat boys, the rap group, <laughs> are selling weed and Tubbs beatboxing. Haven't heard that in yeah. a while. <laughs> uh, Tubbs pulls out his badge and tells him to lose the, the the marijuana, so he eats it, and then everyone's laughing at him. And that's their scene, so they're gone. <laughs> and then Crockett's like racing down the street, and he scares Tubbs. Uh, yeah, this is where they mentioned like, yeah, I can't believe there's going to be a race here in a few days. And then we have a trans lady looking for Florence. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, they did have a. Yeah, they had a. a... Yeah, well, they do the joke where like they insert. They have a guy overdub her voice to show that she's trans, which is here is played for laughs. Now, like here, like here's like, oh, this doesn't age well. Like, look how bad they're looking. It's like a, it's a trans person who's a prostitute. Like, what a bad look. Like, but for the '80s. Just acknowledging that they exist and that they're worried about other people is actually like wildly progressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was actually like a redemptive, like she cared about like all making sure the prostitutes were safe and stuff. Like, yeah. so it was like, yeah, I just, I just, I hadn't heard that. Ours, I just, yeah, I didn't know Miami Vice ever did that. Yeah, but yeah, they do the thing where they overdub the voice deeper than mine. It's like, wait yeah. a minute, she doesn't talk like that anywhere else in the show. But okay, well, they did, they do have like. Because like Switek and Zito 
pick her up, but they they call her Lewis, and with you know, you know not modern day people like they're dead name her. How horrible! But this is eighties. I don't even think it's a name. Well, remember what she said though when they named her wrong. Lewis is dead. Yeah, it's like oh that name that concept must go back a ways. Yeah, because yeah. it's called what's that called the dead name or whatever. Yeah, 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 dead like, naming. Yeah, that's it's like called. oh okay, foreshadowing. <laughs> the the Porsche runs a red light and Crockett gives chase. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know they're wildly outmatched by this car oh yeah (laughs) the porsche just dumps the dead body of florence out on the ground and races away and the kraken tub stop for the body and then that's the then we cut to opening credits yeah and we come back uh i can't remember i I think they might talk to castillo first the next thing i note is that they kraken tubs go and meet the mechanic tommy to get a lead on the car because it's so exotic and and specific it's like she's gonna be she's gonna know about it yeah worst car to go commit a murder in <laughs> yeah. once you use a, like a grand marquee or something from that era <laughs> where there's like hundred thousand of them and then crockett and tubs are looking for danny tepper who owns the porsche i think like the concept of this episode is pretty good <laughs> they rely on this guy who's not an actor he's a real race car driver yeah because <laughs> as soon as i watched that interrogation scene i was like Okay, I gotta go look this up. This guy's here for a reason because, like, I could do a better job than that. And I don't know how to act either. It's like this guy's obviously not an actor, and it's like, oh, he's a real race car driver. Okay, what's his? Do you have his name? His actual name? His name is Danny Sullivan. Yeah, and so like he he won the IndyCar. He won the Indianapolis 500, like essentially like. Like half a year before he did this episode so he was a, a name at that point yeah and he did he did go on to win like a he was a champion in the kart series at least one time so he yeah he's a commendable racer not a good actor and also he worked with red bull to get a formula one driver an american formula one driver and for the red bull team huh in the 90s i mean it's yeah he retired from racing in the 90s because he had a horrible accident at the michigan motor speedway where huh. he like crushed his pelvis and, and he's like, uh, yeah, we're not coming back from that. And, uh, but that was, you know, he, he'd raced for like probably another 10 years after this show and different things. <laughs> yeah. So they interviewed Danny and he says the car was stolen, but he didn't know it was stolen because he's been driving a truck, getting parts for the race all night. Yeah. Which makes it seem weird. Cause it kind of makes, it kind of seems like they're saying like, he's, like a poor scrappy race car driver but he also owns an incredibly rare and expensive car yeah owns a two million dollar race car they only made (laughs) 60 of it's like but then danny's dad shows up and he bails him out actually his sponsor bails him out but (laughs) yeah his dad arranged it and then crockett and tubbs poses sponsors at some party for the drivers tommy shows up at the party too uh so she's going around Cause I thought I thought like oh they bring her in to like help out with this case but no she's just there because that's her like that's the kind of people she deals with yeah she's an exotic car mechanic so yeah she's just trying to drum up business and she also judges one of the other women there is like oh she gives puts <laughs> women back fifty years you know because she's just what did they they had a name for her driver diver or something yeah yeah something like, yeah she's basically like a driver groupie yeah I, I, I actually. Probably the funniest and the worst way to what I've heard of it is people call them uh, screwdrivers. Yeah. Because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, that was the best part of that terrible Sylvester Stallone Formula One movie. I think that was the, like, oh, that's good. This, mo- this movie's starting off good. Now it's terrible. But that was, what was that called? Driven? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Driven. Yeah. And I wrote down, like, I, that's, also, that's also, like, probably one of the, the about, well, there's probably been others, but this is a genuine Miami Vice whodunit. <laughs> Yeah, because we don't. We generally we don't do this Miami Vice, like who actually killed the person. But here, it's that's what they're trying to figure out. Uh, and I wrote down: is it the is it the creepy sales guy, Marty Worthington? Because he just seems he's also like hiring prostitutes. So it's like okay, well he's in that place, so he might have beaten up. That's the sponsor. That's the guy, the sponsor of all those. <laughs> and he's the tackiest. I mean, this guy was just over the top acting. Yeah, like you want this. This guy's being obviously bad because he didn't have anything to do with it, but he yeah. seems like the prime suspect because yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, he's a creep. He's a first. This guy's coked out of his mind all the time. In classic '80s, coked out of your mind acting. I mean, I don't know if it's real or he's just playing a character, but yeah. 
Then we have an impromptu race at the parking garage. It's a motorcycle race between, uh, I think it's Frank and Danny. Yeah, Frank and Danny. Frank wins the race. Father this and is, son. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I, I don't know. I mean, I hate to be critical. I don't know how to do it, but it's not well shot race because they shoot it in a literally parking garage. So every am- camera angle you cut to, like a parking garage isn't different at every level. It looks the same at every level. So and every cut every time you cut to it, it looks like the same part of the race. Nothing looks different. There's no there's nothing that seems like they're progressing. No. And then it ends. <laughs> it's silly. It was actually a dangerous scene because the roofs yeah. were pretty low. And uh these were both Kawasaki ninja motorcycles. It was kind of a product placement, early form of product placement in a show. No, what, what, like, is is Kawasaki like? Are they like mythical at this time? Is like, is that the bike to get? <laughs> it was a very popular sport bike, you know, at that time. Okay. I mean, they had already cemented a name, but it was just cool to see people on a highly rated television, like they're both driving these ninja speed bikes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess that was kind of dangerous to film the way they filmed it because the ceilings are very low in parking garages. Yeah, yeah, and they hired a couple stunt drivers to like you know take some corners, make this look scary. We're gonna do some fast cutting and editing. But yeah, a lot of times like they'd have to lift their heads up, shift their bodies, and they were like inches from just whacking their head <laughs> right off their body. So it was it was sort of a, it was a very tortured scene, but it was actually from my research kind of dangerous to film. And it was also <laughs> they filmed it at like three a.m. Uh, in some a parking garage and they it had to close it off and yeah. also i know like like it's supposed to be like these guys are are like adrenaline junkies so like anything is good to them but like you know they're race car drivers maybe have them drive cars <laughs> yeah i mean that would have been <laughs> wouldn't have been as cost effective but yeah <laughs> i mean this cool. episode uh this episode uh episode this episode <laughs> this episode has if you just watch the scenes uh, anything involving racing or dangerous thunder, there's massive continuity errors. There's, ma- there's all kinds of problems <laughs> with this episode, but it just kind of works because that's just the background. It's supposed to look yeah. cool, and they're also filming at a real race, which is hard <laughs> because those guys are not like in- it's like oh we're making a TV show. Yeah, who cares? Everyone's got cameras <laughs> pointed at us. Please don't get hit my car. <laughs> well, yeah, I think like the the concept is of this this episode works because it's like it's something different it's not just like oh we're just fighting drug dealers again it's like here's like the vice in the background of a race <laughs> of a race weekend like that's that's kind of neat but just like kind yeah, of this had nothing wrong. to do with the usual i mean the only vice here is prostitution prostitutes yeah. getting murdered but yeah. yeah this has nothing to do with like psycho drug importers or anything it's just like <laughs> just kind of a guy it's just i just want to race man you know and, and then his weird dad who he has a strange related we'll talk about the conversation yeah. him and his dad having the stands in a little bit cause... but yeah, that the dad wins the motorcycle race and so he's happy about that but then like he gets like message from the rooftop that his that danny's the wife just gave birth and so he races off to the hospital yeah and has a weird scene with her uh yeah another great actress by the way a lot of good a, acting she's all right a lot of good well, acting in this right. episode yeah yeah well, she's all right. I, which I was wondering is like, why would you give a guy who doesn't act a kissing scene? That seems like, that seems like a horrible thing to do. Unless he was like, she was like his actual wife or something. But I don't know. Yeah. Because um, if she was his actual wife, it's like, well, she she she, she can act circles around him. <laughs> it was an awkward scene, though. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, hey, you had a baby. Yes, I did. That's great. <laughs> Line, you know, it's Danny like, Junior. <laughs> Typical Southern race car driver fashion, just name your kid after you. <laughs> yeah. Just get out there and race, honey. I'll raise the kids. <laughs> and then they get like a gift that's like of a burnt out car, which I thought was going to be like he was being framed for murder because like he might have like been like in a cause of somebody's death on the racetrack. But that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I was wondering, like, did they film that and forget to develop anything before or after or? Unless it was just like them trying to do some weird David Lynch stuff. That could be. <laughs> Let's see what the burnt car represents. <laughs> yeah. Fall of Western civilization. <laughs> uh, Vice is working the street looking for witnesses. The IMSA Miami GP <laughs> starts up. Crockett and Tubbs are talking to to Becky, who's like the driver groupie. And then she's she doesn't want to give up anybody's name because she already got like beat up and sent to the hospital by one of the drivers. That's yeah. probably the guy that beat up and killed the hooker. 
it's, it's like but she's well, gonna hold weird. fast to that yeah yeah she does say it's like you're gonna protect me are you gonna protect me a year <laughs> from now are you gonna live at my house because you know yeah it's like yeah she's got a point yeah she knows the business crack and tub see like frank and danny talking off in the distance and then we cut to that scene and like frank's not sure that danny's like yeah. actually his kid <laughs> i don't know if i'm your father <laughs> I don't know, but you gotta concentrate on your race, like or like, cause all the, and I mean the race, the upcoming race. He's like, yeah, all the bombs you could drop on this guy being a murder suspect. His wife just has a kid. I don't know if you're my son, but you know, <laughs> keep your head in the game. You know, don't don't be a loser. It's like this is the most stilted conversation <laughs> I've ever heard. Because that guy who plays his dad is actually a real good actor, and yeah. and he's just like, Dad, I don't know with all this stuff. He's like, Danny. Danny, keep your head in the game. Damn it. <laughs> Don't worry about all these dead hookers and whether I'm your dad or not. Uh, then they're out like a, like on the outskirts of the racetrack and Tub spots the security camera at the deli and then he gets like tapes for it. And then they, they zoom in on one of the tapes. Like, oh, Frank did it. So like that's wrapped up. I like how uh, they did that for the audience because you don't get that kind of camera definition now. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone on VHS tapes from the 80s. Like it's because they, they show the last scene, like, stop there. Okay, zoom in. It's like perfectly clearly that his yeah. dad's driving that car. It's like, yeah, that, okay, they're doing that for us. But that's fine. And then Cro Crockett and Tubbs race to the race while the race is ongoing. <laughs> and then Danny wins the race and his dad comes in second. And then the cops show up, so Frank just takes off in the race car. <laughs> yep, we're taking the race car down the streets of Miami, which leads which to a high-speed chase. But, but, like, how I know about race cars, that car probably would have ran out of gas. Like, Yeah, that's, that what I, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, just have a car follow him at a distance because it will either overheat or run out of gas very quickly. It's not, it doesn't have, like, 100 more miles in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Cro Crockett and Tubbs and the whole like police department give chase, and then Frank just like head-on collisions into a wall. The front window breaks and freeze frame. So I'm guessing that's not him making an error. That's his. That's his suicide attempt. <laughs> yep, that's and because it, it just cuts the credits. Yeah, it does the you know the stinger the wow <laughs> and then da -da 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 -da, you know it's like okay, Michael Mann. <laughs> We're assuming he's dead at this point. Yeah. yeah. See, I thought like the, structurally the episode was okay. It wasn't executed all that well, but no, just, I mean, I'm not a continuity and find the errors guy. I don't watch movies for that. There's some whole podcasts that are just dedicated to that, but the continuity errors, especially in the race scene, were so ridiculous <laughs> because I think they were just cutting race footage together, in, interspersed with the actual actors in cars and stuff. I mean, it might not have been race footage. They might have just been filming practice <laughs> yeah because there were cool scenes like guys taking these engines out of cars and with you know motor lifts and stuff like it was obviously like you, you were in the the zone of like yeah this is an actual race event going on but if yeah. you really paid attention to it you're like huh okay <laughs> but it's 80s tv yeah. i remember this is the highest rated show on television at that time so <laughs> it's like yeah they just get a get a get people on there yeah like we said like that uh sold and guy he won the indy 500 so he was a name when the, we popped in yeah <laughs> which i like in the episode i think i cut it out of the the, the episode like introduction notes it, like it says and introducing like danny sullivan or whatever his name is and i'm like like who's that <laughs> and i cut it out because it's like that's, that means that well i looked at his internet movie database and like it's like He's, he's an actor known for Miami Vice and the Doors. I'm like, he's not an actor. A guy on film in Miami Vice <laughs> and the Doors. But it was, well, yeah, yeah, it was popular to have a guy who just won the Indy 500 on Miami Vice. It was cool back then. Yeah. Racing, the IMSA racing series. Yep. Which I, which I don't know. I don't know how popular that is or still. I mean, it con continues to exist, so, but I'm not sure. Like, if this would be the the height of the popularity for IMSA. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's probably for like yeah, hardcore race fans know a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. it's not casual. It's, you know, you never see it on TV. It's like, or well, it'd do, be on like deep cable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there, but it's 
or the motor trend channel or whatever that's called yeah but it's not like indycar or f1 or something you know it's no. not that well known like here it's indycar nascar and then F- yeah i have I, I, I feel like imsa is like if you know what the world endurance championship is like imsa is sort of like the american version of that yeah because um, i believe they also do like really long like like endurance races yeah the like, le mans style have, races yeah yeah and they'll have multiple drivers and stuff like that and they have like because I, I i like i think that's what was going on in that race is like there seemed to be cars that had like very different styles to it because like there's one cars that have like the the back end where it has like the um the diffuser yeah and other cars didn't have a diffuser they look more like a stock car and it's like oh they, they race they have multiple classes of cars going on in the exact same race at the same time which that's what endurance championship does and i believe that's what imsa does as well oh okay uh, either that or they're just like cars that had like no chance because they, <laughs> they, they didn't have a diffuser like the other cars anyways if you like what you heard and how couldn't you you can find us at anchor.fm slash verhoven effect you can also go to verhoveneffect.com that'll take you to the same place you can Wherever platform you're listening to us, you can rate our podcast if they allow such a thing. You can rate us whatever you want, but the only thing that the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. So uh, remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We also have listener support at anchor.fm slash Verhoeven Effect. Um, you can support us at a monthly stipend of either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 if you so wish. Uh, you can find us at, at, at on Twitter at, at Verhoeven Effect, uh, Facebook Verhoeven Effect. And on YouTube, you can find us on American Greed Factory. Uh, you can watch both that show and this show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at blowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Colin. I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.